Hi, welcome to Civic's Change Agent Chat, episode 27. During these chats, we speak with change agents who are working to create a better healthcare system for us all. I'm Stephanie Spriggs with the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare, or as we like to call it, Civic. In this chat, Carrie Frank, Civic's VP of Communication, is speaking with Ken Davis, Executive Director of the Northwest Colorado Community Health Partnership, who used Colorado APCD data to look at emergency department visits and potentially avoidable costs in Northwest Colorado, specifically in Grant, Jackson, Moffitt, Rio Blanco, and Route counties. During this chat, we learn about the challenges of their rural service area and what they discovered about ED utilization in these communities. We recorded this chat in September 2018. Thanks for listening and enjoy the chat. Hello, and thank you for joining today's Civic Change Agent Chat. I'm Carrie Frank. I'm Civic VP of Communication and Marketing. Um, before we get started, I just want to announce a few little housekeeping items. The phone lines are muted today, and we will be using the Q&A feature to field questions and allow you to make comments on the discussion. Questions posed will be answered during the Q&A session at the end of our 30 minutes here today. Um, this webinar is being recorded and will be posted to the Civic site so you can access this information again at any time with no cost. Today we're very excited to be speaking with Ken Davis, Executive Director for Northwest Colorado Community Health Partnership. Ken, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I, I hear that you are in Steamboat Springs, and it's a lovely, beautiful fall day with colors starting to turn. So we, we appreciate you taking the time out to um, be indoors today to tell us a little bit more about Northwest Colorado Community Health Partnership and all the great work that you're doing. So thank you for being here. An honor, Carrie. So um, before we get started, I think the first thing I'd like to do is just give our audience a little bit of information about you know what the impetus was for your collaborative starting. Was there a specific community need in Northwest Colorado that really ignited your work and how did you guys get going? Sure, that's a great question. So the health partnership is just over a decade old. Around 2006, several um, hospital clinical system partners came together and at that time there was conversations about how do we start getting health information shared across the region. And our region is a little bit unique in that roughly two-thirds of our clients, if they need specialty services, they go to the front range. A third of our clients kind of go to Grand Junction to get a specialty care. And so, you know, roughly a third goes to Grand Junction, two-thirds go to the front range. And as we know, we don't have a universal data health information exchange where data is being shared um, freely across the state that way. That was 2006. Well, that conversation um, continued for the past 12 years. And... <laughs> And we just actually got a regional health information exchange that connects the front range and, and the western slope HIEs together. So that's yeah, us. That's that's a celebration. But the conversation quickly turned to um, more along the lines of how are we better ensuring residents have access to the care they need. And, and to that end, there was conversations around how do we how do we improve our uh, rates of people with health insurance. Um, how do we create uh, less barriers for people to qualify for a sliding type of scale fee and that we could have a, a universal way that somebody could qualify based on their finances for a certain 
um, rate to get a, a minimum amount of healthcare services. So we call that the community assistance program. So it quickly kind of led to these other conversations about you know, what are the things that we can do to help improve access. Um, conversations led to development of a, of a federally qualified health center that was opened up as a result of the Health Alliance. And then um, more recently, uh, probably in the last five years, we've really been the leader around mental health issues, specifically helping to get integrated behavioral health services in primary care services, primary care centers, and um, doing care coordination uh, as a community-based agency, not a clinically-based agency. There's some nuances around that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think what is important is that the health partnership um, provides that community linkage along with the clinical systems. And it's this trusted space where we can come and kind of have alignment. Yes, many of our um, partnership agencies kind of compete for clients for their services, but ultimately um, when we come together, we're addressing a community identified need such as um, improved behavioral services that that becomes a central conversation and, and some of those competing interests kind of melt away um, around the table. And then when we leave the office, you know, certain people get back into competing for those client lives, but in general, it really creates this, this unique opportunity for us to be more collaborative um, and less competitive when we're, when we're dealing with these really complex social issues. That's excellent. So you mentioned that, you know, the behavioral health and integrated care is really a primary focus. Would you say that that's probably the biggest push that you guys have right now as far as initiatives and who are really the key players and how does that work in the space of clinical versus community-based mental health integrated care? Oh, okay, Carrie. Well, I can give you, I'm going to give you the abbreviated version of this, obviously. This is one of those um, questions that I think uh, I could go on and on about, honestly. Key players are this. We have um, a key partner, Grand County Rural Health Network. They're a sister agency, Health Alliance, and they really serve Grand and Jackson County. Um, they serve on our board. They're, we're very much aligned around health equity advocacy work, around data, around our care coordination strategies, and behavioral health interventions. So that's an important key player. Obviously, Yampa Valley Medical Center, UC Health, is now uh, a very key player. They've always been a key partner um, and supporter of the health partnership. Northwest Colorado Health, they're the dynamic federally qualified health center, public health agency, home health hospice, dental service, integrated behavioral health. So again, another key player across multiple counties that we um, work very closely with on some of our programs and, and the initiatives that we have um, at the health partnership. We have Yampa Valley Medical Associates, which is a private practice. So it's a private practice that has doing practice transformation work um, in primary care. So they've got some invested interest in making sure that they're staying um, up to speed on some of the latest innovations on how we're gonna collaborate and make healthcare better for our communities. Casey's Pond, which is this comprehensive nursing home, assisted living um, facility, just a great, resource here in the region for uh, seniors as we're, as we're aging and, and if we're no longer able to live at home, it, it's really a, a great place. And so they're, a, they're an important partner. Then we have um, Route County DHS. Uh, 
so the Department of Human Services is really important from a, from a social aspect and always trying to, you know, clinical systems, we can get really clinically focused. We have throughout DHS is, hey, what about income? What about housing? What about training? Like, she's really good at trying to pull us in and, and remember, you know, reminding us of how all of these other social terms of health um, actually play a bigger role in people's health outcomes than the actual delivery of healthcare. Um, so that's an interesting conversation. And then I would be remiss if I did not mention MindSpring's Health. Obviously, MindSpring's Health is our community mental health center, and they're a strong partner across all of our five counties. And then last but not least, Rocky Mountain Health Plans. Because without Rocky Mountain Health Plans, um, we, we would not do the work that we do around community care coordination. Um, and as we move into the regional accountable entity models, um, they're, they're clearly our, our strongest partner and, and funder of the activities that we do to support those initiatives. Now, so you talked about what are our focus areas. Health and wellness uh, system improvement is a huge one for us. Um, we're really using a cross-system, cross-county, collective impact model, um, really all guided by you know, the, the, our compass is really the northern part of the IHI, the quadruple aim. You know, we're talking about improving patient outcomes, controlling our costs, enhancing patient outcomes, and, and really, most importantly, really trying to support joy, joining a workforce or joining a workplace. Um, we see a significant amount of burnout, not only amongst clinical um, staff members, but also a lot of the community-based agencies who are providing social services. So that we see a unique opportunity for us to um, support some of the wellness initiatives and activities in our communities. Then we talk about community navigation. You know, how are people um, navigating health systems, which is a complex system alone, but how are you navigating all the community resources? Because so often we get people who um, are not able to really navigate either one of those. So having a community-based, kind of a neutral entity that is there to talk to our clients, hear what their needs are, identify what their uh, goals are, and then walking alongside them in that, in that journey. So community navigation is really important in that regard. But another part of that is bringing um, the people who are doing the work together at least once a month as well. We help to lead some wellness activities for them and we start discussing where is their duplication and how can we avoid duplication because resources are limited and we cannot afford to have three, four agencies all doing the same thing for certain individuals. So, you know, we're trying to identify in those monthly meetings who's the lead agency on a particular client such that we're not duplicating so much of our efforts at addressing people's needs. Last but not least, a focus area that's dear and dear to my heart to the civic is, is how are we leveraging regional data? Okay, so, um, you know, when I'm, we're building out community dashboards um, using a Thriving Well Colorado framework. Uh, I think that's exciting work. Uh, but when I start looking at cost of care and the work that we've done with Civic, and, with civic around all payer claims database and looking we did one project around the emergency use utilization for non-emergent cases. And, and I think that is really exciting to us because when we start getting the data and we analyze the data, no longer are we going on assumptions. We actually have some hard facts to base some of our decision-making on. And, and we can either choose, and, and part of it is just validating it. So we get your data, we're analyzing it, and, and we might say, oh, you know, this emergency room is telling us that they're really in non- we're seeing a lot of clients who 
or non-emergent care. And I can say, well, based on our data as a region, you're, you're just like everybody else. Or, or the data says, well, no, you actually are. There's a lot of people going to ER for non-emergent things. And, and, and the data does show that, that that costs our system a lot of money. So those are our main focus areas. I, can, I don't want to go into the weeds on some of the other things, but um, it, that, those are really three big buckets, I would say, that we, we, we play in. Okay, excellent. That's great. Um, thank you for sharing that. I think it might be important for us to mention to the audience who's not aware of, of the counties that you cover, that you do cover Route, Garfield, Moffat, Rio Grande, Jackson, and Grand County. Did I get them all right? No, we're not in Garfield County. Route, Moffat, okay. Grand, Jackson, and Rio Blanco. So we're in that five county oh, northwestern yeah. Colorado region. Yeah. We, don't, we don't dip down into Garfield County. Okay. Well, still, it's a, a very expansive area, um, and I'm I'm wondering because of such a large geographic distance, that's pretty difficult to manage clients. I would assume over so many miles that they're traveling and probably going to different places for care. Um, so, you know, how how do you guys overcome those barriers of communication, being so far apart between providers and between? collaborative members and making sure that you're connecting with your clients appropriately and not letting them through the cracks. So, um, so the five counties, just to be frank, it's eight hours drive on a nice sunny dry road day from one end of the region to the next. 60,000 lives roughly is who we, who we kind of assume as our population. Um, the clients, when they're getting care coordination services, um, are receiving those services locally by people who are in, in those communities and who know the local resources. We get funding from Rocky Mountain Health Plans to be the coordinator of all those activities. And then we identify our community members who can provide that care coordination, community-based care coordination um, in those local communities. So we are actively searching out and making sure that our community partners can do those types of works. Now, having said that, we spend a lot of time in the car driving and having meetings with our community partners and our stakeholders. Um, those community navigation meetings are done in person. We're not doing those by Zoom. Um, you know, although we do utilize a Zoom technology for some of our longer distance um, meetings as well, uh, as well as to, a lot of our partners can't, don't have the resources or can't travel to some of the meetings. Steamboat Springs, where we're located, is central to the region, but like I said, it's eight hours, so some, it'd be four hours drive for some of our people to come to Seamboat Springs. So when our state partners are coming to the region to host trainings, my agency will step in and, and use the Zoom technology and, and allow people to at least experience these meetings via me or a staff member at the meeting using Zoom so that they can be present um, and, and participate that way if they cannot get to the meeting in person. Uh, now, I do think this is really our, so it's important to point out that in 2017, we became our own 501c3. And the first year of any 501c3 is really, we're hunkering down, you're putting in the infrastructure for policy procedures. And in my first year of operations, there was some criticism that I did not, that we weren't getting out enough into the surrounding communities. So 2018 has really been, um, you know, really been trying to, make sure that we're getting out into the Rio Blanco community, Rio Blanco County communities, getting out more to Moffitt County, getting out more to Rand and Jackson counties. Yes, we're still very present here in Rowell County, but we're making a much stronger effort 
as we bring more staff on to get out and visit those regions and make sure that we're hearing a community voice because that's the unique thing we we, we add. You know, I, I said that we kind of tongue in cheek. I said we provide a neutral space. In truth, we provide a convening space. And and my my neutrality is I always try to represent the community voice because so often we in clinical systems are doing things that maybe uh, are not being informed by the community voice. And I think in today's day and age, change agents need to listen to the community voice. It is imperative that we, we hear what people are, are thinking, our solutions to the potential problems. We oftentimes clinical systems have the resources to make those things happen or not, but if we are not engaging with patient advisory calls, if we are not engaging with some kind of community engagement process and hearing that community voice, it, it is in our, it's it at our own peril, honestly, in my opinion. And similar like data, as we're getting data together, we need to make sure that we're sharing that data with the, with the community openly. We're getting their feedback on it. We, we are hearing from them. Boy, that doesn't seem right. Okay, well, you know, let's, what, what is the context? So really trying to vet um, the stories that we hear with that and making sure that there's some alignment. And when there isn't, then you have to ask more of those probing questions, right? So. Yeah. Well, and I, I, we love that because, you know, civic, civic's mantra is that, you know, really where change is happening is where the data and the communities are coming together and you're really listening to the patient voice. So we love hearing that. And that's kind of a great transition on um, understanding a little bit. I'd love to know a little bit more about what you um, found from the data that you got from the ABCD um, regarding you know, avoidable EDs, but then also matching that to the reasons why, because you can look at data all day long that says, oh, we have, we have people going to the emergency department for these reasons that are not emergent, but then you have to take that a step further. I'm assuming you guys have done some discussions with your community or at least some, some thoughts on why they might be accessing the ED instead of other alternative yeah. places for care. There's lots of reasons why that could be happening. Yeah. So, uh, that's a great question, Carrie. And um, the so the, let's let's start with what the report was. The report was ED utilization for non-emergent diagnoses, and roughly we identified close to 25 diagnoses from the cold to the sinus infections to UTIs to rashes to coughs. I mean back pains, like some very you know easily managed clinical conditions in the outpatient practice. And then we asked Civic to run reports across four years time um, for each one of our counties. And then we benchmarked it against the state. So you guys also provided me with the whole state, state data. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of getting enough data by county. We can, we can average that for the region and then how are we benchmarked, benchmarked against the state? What did we find? Well, on average, um, we found that there's roughly 20 to 25 residents who um, were really driving uh, usage of the emergency room for those non-emergent um, cases. Uh, at that same time, if you think about, okay, 20 to 25 people who are kind of more perpetual users of, of the emergency room, um, we, as a community care coordination staff, 
try to identify, if, you know, this was de-identified data. So once we knew there was those type of individuals, we then reached out to our committee partners to say, who do you want us to be reaching out to potentially and, and see what kind of interventions we can have in place to try to help um, better inform these residents when is the best, when is it appropriate to go to the emergency room? So there is that intervention. Um, what we did see in that, in that time frame, when we compare the non-emergent, the cost of, non, of those non-emergent clinical situations in an outpatient setting, the cost for that care was essentially $100. When you looked at the cost for those non-emergent care in the emergency room setting, it doubled. So it, was over, it started out at 200. But in that four, four year period of time, um, the cost went from 200 to just under 400. So it went to 375. Now, the good news is, based on the state average, we actually were quite a bit lower than the state for, for those particular diagnoses and the cost for those diagnoses. Um, I've, I've sent, submitted another request to you guys to give me another bunch of data to see kind of what, my, what the last three years, what 2015, 2016, 2017, I want to see how the last three years have played out at that, if our cost so those non-emergent cases have continued to rise and have come closer to where the state average is, I, I'd like to know. Um, so we've asked, we've asked for that report from you guys um, in the near future, we'll be getting that. But I think um, what it led us to do is in some of the counties where there was a high ER utilization, um, it actually stimulated opening, expanding urgent care hours, and there was an urgent care opened up in one of our counties. So I think, um, you know, we're all looking for ways on how we can control cost. I think we all can agree that a lot of those non-emergent conditions are not best treated in the emergency room environment because that's not your best patient experience. Um, and I think your patient outcomes are better if you can create a lasting relationship, uh, have a continuity of care, a healing relationship with a provider. So you know, part of my, my role in how I got to be executive director is I'm also a clinician. I've been a family medicine physician assistant for over 18 years. And so I know the benefits of having that continuity of care and that healing relationship with individuals who have those non-emergent conditions. And it allows, you know, in an emergency room environment, it, it's kind of a low hanging fruit for them. It's an easy visit, but it certainly is an overutilization. I mean, you don't need that vast network of emergency services and equipment to take care of a cold. That, that is just not a good utilization of resources. So as we all are trying to figure out how are we going to sustain our healthcare models, we need to be a little bit more creative and, and use our resources more efficiently. And this is an example of us trying to do that and, and, and lower our cost of care for those for those conditions. Absolutely, that's that's great. Um, yeah, I I'm in, I'm impressed with the opening of the urgent care centers. I think that's one of the biggest um, things we can do as a, as communities is offer those after hour options for yeah. folks who just can't get in during the day. Yeah. Well, I think the, the future of a lot of this, if we want to be so bold is to think virtually, how can we support people in this virtual realm, um, using, using our technologies of phones and such and safe protected information, but how can you meet people where they're at, at their, at their time, you get rid of all their, like Northwestern Colorado, just like a lot of other places in rural Colorado, 
transportation is always an issue. So like, wouldn't it be great if we could just melt away the, the issue of transportation provides to us? Now, obviously there are limitations to only having virtual experiences, but um, I, think, I think that's an untapped um, resource that, that has great potential to help us control costs, improve patient experience, and, and potentially really improve outcomes and, and provide joy in the workplace. Because even though a lot of the ER doctors I spoke with regarding this project were like, yeah, we're fine seeing these coughs and colds and UTIs, but that's not, that's not, that's not why I'm here. Like I'm here to provide emergency medicine. So, I mean, it, I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, it, I, it is that, that fine line, you know, we want to make sure we're using our services and getting, getting reimbursed for them. But at the same time, a lot of the ER providers and staff would be frustrated by the amount of non-emergency clinical stuff that they were taking care of because oftentimes they would be juggling that with true emergencies. Yeah, absolutely. It gets back to that right care, right place, right time appropriately. Yep. Yeah. And effectively for the cost as well. I think that's a huge component. So, well, thank you for that. I wanted to make sure everybody is, um, able to type in their questions is that we are going to enter some Q&A time if anybody has questions please type that into the chat box and Steph just let us know if anybody has questions thus far. I'll jump in when they come in. Okay perfect and um, so while we're waiting for some questions I do have um, just another question for you Ken regarding one of the other services that you guys offer, which we chatted about just briefly before before the call, and, and one of them is um, that you're you're helping those in your collaborative to the providers in your collaborative um, with competitive advantage negotiations as far as contracting with with payers, and uh, just wondering how you balance that, you know, because I. I from the payer side, everybody wants to get paid more, but from the community side, we want to lower costs and we want to reduce the premiums for folks. So how do you balance that, you know, desire to have sustainability on the provider end, but then also lower costs? And what are you guys doing to address those, that, that balance? So, um, Carrie, I, 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 the best way I can answer that is, in Colorado, you might be familiar with the hospital transformation project where hospitals might be getting a, a, an enhanced premium if they can prove that they are collaborating with community partners. So this is one example of how the health partnership can partner with big hospital systems and we can be, you know, there's like four or five different areas that you kind of have, you can pick what your, what your different projects are gonna be, but we can, immediately step up and partner with a hospital system and, and deliver immediate results from making sure people are accessing services to making sure that we're able to better collaborate on data leveraging um, to where we are addressing social determinants of health through the accountable health communities model work we're doing on the Western Slope and here specifically we lead the Northwestern Colorado region. There are so many different ways in which we um, can position hospital systems in, in their partnership with us to be better positioned to get those enhanced reimbursement rates. If you carry that forward to the Medicare um, models where they're going to be looking for health outcomes, you know, one health outcome that is extremely um, 
impressive to me with, with what we've been able to do accomplish at the Health Partnership is a coordinated effort to address the opioid epidemic in our region. And in one year, in one year, we went from having 19 opioid-related overdose deaths where we only had five at the end of 2017, so the 74% reduction in one year. At the same time, our national rates have increased by 16.9% opioid-related overdoses. So far in 2018, we're in our ninth month, and I've been made aware of one opioid-related overdose. So whatever we're doing, which is a comprehensive, community, clinically integrated, educational, prevention, treatment approach, is working. Um, do we still have problems with substance use disorder? Absolutely, but we, can, we, we feel like we're able to really deliver some pretty uh, impressive outcomes on some pretty complex social issues that we're addressing. And I believe as we're rolling out the Accountable Health Communities model, um, one area we're starting to address now is food insecurity. So I, I have, you know, once we start wrapping this comprehensive community and clinically integrated approach to addressing a complex issue like food insecurity, I, I have great faith that we will continue to move the needle in, in ways that that's improved as well um, over periods of time. So I, I, with great confidence, can say to any hospital system, if you come and partner with me and support me, we're gonna be able to do better, better things together than we are able to do things apart. Absolutely. That's exciting work with the opioids. We might have to have you back on a chat just to talk about that project in and of itself, because I know that that's such a struggle for so many in our state and across the country. So great work on that. That's exciting results and definitely amazing for, for Coloradans in general. Um, and I, I don't think we have any questions from the audience, Ken, so I think we'll go ahead and wrap up since we're coming to the top of our 30 minutes. So um, I just wanted to thank you again for a wonderful discussion and for your time and sharing all of the great work that you guys are doing. We look forward to keeping tabs on all the great stuff that you're doing and, and again, maybe having you back on the chat here really soon. So um, I just wanted to remind everybody that this discussion will be shared via social media and our civic website in the upcoming days. It'll be available as a link. Um, and then our next chat is actually next Tuesday on September 18th and we'll be talking to Nine Health Fair about how they're using volunteers in the media to engage communities around health. And we also have a special webinar next um, Tuesday. We talked a lot about social determinants of health here, but um, we're gonna be featuring Project Angel Heart on Tuesday the 19th upcoming and the results of the study that they did using the ABCD data um, to share the, the ROI on the services that they provide for nutritionally tailored meals for um, folks with chronic illness. So looking forward to that. And thanks again, Ken, for all this great information. We hope you have a great day. Enjoy that weather out there in the mountains. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks Take for care. having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.